welcome back to another episode of the Untreated Media Podcast. This is episode number 48. Josh, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing all right, buddy. <laughs> you sound a little down. <laughs> I was having a good day. I actually beat somebody one-on-one in basketball. I was having a good day. And then I go to the bathroom at work. And I see our first news topic. And it just ruined my day. It really did. Oh, Mm, headaches. Sony gives me headaches. I mean, we'll yeah. talk about it in a little bit. Um, but Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm chilling, buddy. Chilling like a villain. Better yeah, than I am, I'm year. assuming. Well, I mean, I and we'll get into it here in a minute. But a big part of my reaction to it is I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But I'm just tired of this BS. Yes, I agree. Uh, it's just. We had some good news topics, some uplifting and positive and exciting news topics, and then we gotta get to this. Thanks for the wrench in the plan, Sony. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, what, what, what are we talking about, buddy? Okay, so, as most of y'all know, Sony owns the film rights to Spider-Man. And so uh, they struck a deal before uh, Captain America Civil War came out that um, basically Marvel could incorporate Spider-Man into the MCU uh, for five pictures. So that's Captain America Civil War, Homecoming, uh, Infinity War, Endgame, and Far From Home. Well, now that deal's done. And we all kind of assume since Far From Home was such a box office success that the deal would just be re-signed and we get more Tom Holland in the MCU. Nope. Sony says, screw that. Thanks, you've made Far From Home our most successful film ever. We got it from here. And now Spider-Man, just like that, is no longer in the MCU because Sony... Oh, my gosh. Also, the big thing, Kevin Feige is no longer producing any Spider-Man movies going forward. It What? is Sony thinking? It, it also makes sense as to how Far From Home didn't really present any picture of where we were going. Yes. All the Spider-Man movies, at least the MCU ones, so Homecoming and Far From Home, both of them are very self-contained Spider-Man stories. Like, it's like the MCU kind of knew that he was a loaned character, so they didn't want to fully invest in him uh, impacting the greater universe. Yeah, that was... Which was... It may, which definitely makes the gamble that they took, basically, on in, investing... and in, Putting him so close to, to Tony... And having Tony be such an integral part of his his story, that was a big risk, knowing that the plug could technically have been pulled at any time. But also, um, without dipping into spoilers, how far from home ends and the end credits in that, that needs resolution. Now that it's not in the MCU anymore, we're going to completely forget about almost everything about Tom Holland's Spider-Man, except just the fact that he exists. Um, yes. But... Here's here's where I hate the legal system. So Disney gets screwed over. Disney gets left high and dry. Sony, not at all, because 
through a contract that they made before they signed with Spider-Man, uh, with a deal that they made with director John Watts and Tom Holland, Tom Holland is legally required to show up in one more Spider-Man movie, but not in the MCU. So we will more than likely be getting the Spider-Man Venom crossover, whether we want it or not, just we wanted it in the MCU. It's not so much a matter of he's leaving the MCU. It's that he's going back to people that don't know how to properly handle him. I know you like the amazing Spider-Man movies, but a lot of people don't. They haven't made a good... Sony hasn't made a good, well-received Spider-Man movie since 2004. They don't know what to do with this character. It's... And it's people are like, but they really, made it into really the Spider-Verse. Weird. No, that was Sony animation. It wasn't live action. It's a different department. And also, as much as I love Into the Spider-Verse, and it's your favorite Spider-Man movie, it's my number two, that movie did not light the box office on fire. It did not even crack $400 million. So don't tell me Into the Spider-Verse is their remedy. It shows that Sony knows what they're doing. It doesn't. Their biggest and one of their best Spider-Man movies is not the box office draw. They need the MCU. They need Kevin Feige. And they don't want to acknowledge that and pay Marvel what they're due. And it's frustrating because I love Spider-Man. Spider-Man is one of the best MCU characters ever created. Not just MCU characters, comic book characters. And I'm sick and tired of him just getting jerked around every direction. He deserves better. I just want, for once in his entire film adaptation, consistency. We've had at least three live-action incarnations over the past 15 years. That is too much. You know how many incarnations of Iron Man there's been in the last 15 years? One. How many Logans have there been in the past 15 years? One. Just once. I was excited for Tom Holland's Spider-Man because I thought he was built for long-term. I bet you, after his next Spider-Man movie... Whatever it's going to be with Sony, he's out. Because I know he was excited to be in the MCU with Robert Downey Jr., with Chris Evans, to be in this big sandbox. Now that he's back in Sony, I bet you his interest has gone down. I don't think he cares if he's going to be in the Venom movie. Sounds good on paper. But if it's Sony's Venom movie, if I'm him, I'm out. I'm doing the one that I'm legally required to do, and then I'm out. Yeah. It's it's really frustrating and it's really confusing, uh, but really at this point, we there's no way we can tell where they're going with this, unfortunately. Which I still to this day don't I don't understand what Sony's thinking. It's their only they're not. The thing is, and I stand by what I took to Facebook a couple weeks ago, and I stand by what I'm saying, what I said then, and I'm putting it officially on the record now on the podcast. Within five years, Marvel will officially own Spider-Man wholesale. I don't think they'll buy Sony, but I think the rights to Spider-Man will go back to Marvel because Sony as a company is not doing well. Their video games are what's keeping them afloat. And the reason why they're clinging so desperately onto Spider-Man is he's the only franchise that they have that's making money because they keep squandering opportunity after opportunity. Look at Ghostbuster 2016. Sony, they cannot get a franchise off the ground. So they're strangleholding Spider-Man, trying to milk every last dollar out of him. And it's frustrating because they don't give a crap about telling a good Spider-Man story so long as it makes money. And the guy that's in charge, Avi Arad, who we will talk at length about later, 
during the main discussion, um, who oversaw Venom. Shocker there. It's him, and it's Tom freaking Rothman. Tom Rothman is the one making the deal on the Sony end of it in this whole Sony um, Kevin Feige thing. Kevin Feige gets along with Amy Pascal. Amy Pascal has nothing to do with this um, with this contract, which is frustrating. Tom Rothman, on the other hand, is the reason why we haven't had the X-Men and um, why the X-Men franchise has been so messed up over the years, why it took them so long to be in the MCU to begin with, and Van Forstick. That's all on Tom Rothman. Now he's in charge of Spider-Man again? No thanks. Yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's a lot going on, man. So Sony gets all this stuff, but MCU is left with nothing. Yes, I know we're still going to have all these great MCU movies, but Spider-Man is the big centerpiece. He Everything comes around Spider-Man. He's the most beloved character in all of Marvel, if not all of comics. And Marvel finally cracked the code within the parameters that Sony instilled. Now, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here. Try and collect my breath because I'm going to need it for our next story, which is a happy story. Trust me. My emotions are going to be all over the place in this episode. Um, Put my tinfoil hat on. I said within the next five years that I think the Spider-Man rights wholesale will go to Marvel. If it does, Marvel has been playing the long game like they knew this was going to happen. In that, we actually haven't had real, traditional Spider-Man elements in the MCU of a spandex-wearing Spider-Man, a red-headed MJ, an old um, Aunt May, even an Uncle Ben. And the reason for that is if they appeared now in the MCU and the rights went back to uh, uh, Sony, those characters would be frozen, never to be used again. That's why the current MCU incarnations of Spider-Man almost being Iron Man Jr., which I hate, is the way he is because he's not that character. He's not that incarnation of Spider-Man. So if they eventually get the rights, they can use how it's supposed to be. The right MJ, the right Aunt May, the right incarnation of Spider-Man. So I think Marvel's still... They're willing to take a loss currently if it means winning the war in the long term. I still think... This is a horrible, horrible choice on Sony's part. But um, Disney's playing the long game. And Sony's going to try and play the long game. But right now, the fans have turned on Sony real quick. And Sony, as a movie company, is already up a creek without a paddle. And this is not going to help their case any. Whereas Disney, they're not strapped for cash. They're just going to sit by and wait. Yeah. It, it it's all going to be just a matter of time. Do you see any upside to this as I'm trying to catch my breath here? Um, mm, not really at the moment outside of the, the theory that maybe um, Marvel is playing that long game. There's rumors that Sony wants to do a live action into the Spider-Verse, but again, Sony doesn't care about good stories. They care about box office. And also, Tim Rothman hates superhero movies. He prefers to do stuff his way, which is how we got Dark Phoenix and how we got X3 and how we got Fan Four Stick. So I don't think they're actually going to do 
what is necessary to tell good Spider-Man stories. Like, Kevin Feige loves Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the character that he wanted and treasured because it's Spider-Man. And I don't think Sony has that same love and care, and it's frustrating. Well, not only that, but a live-action Spider-Verse wouldn't that's, that wouldn't translate as well. Yeah, I think part of the reason why Into the Spider-Verse worked as well as it did is that animation style and being animated. Yeah, it's it, it just doesn't it doesn't work for me. So, uh, we haven't actually covered it, but why have the talks broken down? So, um, when they were re- renegotiating the contract, apparently they recently were doing this, um, Sony, Disney suggested that going forward in all the Sony in all the Spider-Man movies, um, it's 50-50. Um, Disney would pay half the budget and then get half the box office. Because right now, when it comes to standalone Spider-Man movies, Marvel doesn't get any of the box office, like barely any. They get like 5% of opening night. That's it. Uh, but then anything toy or comic, that's all Marvel. And I think... They want to be able to reap some of the rewards of, hey, we helped you get to where it's at. We should be kind of rewarded with that. Whereas Sony, I think, have wanted to break away for a while. I think they've only ever looked at the MCU as a, all right, let's get back to making money, and then we'll ditch them as soon as we can. And this, to me, kind of proves that. Of Disney offered that first 50-50 argument, to which some people are just like, it's Disney's fault for doing that 50%. How dare they go from wanting 5% to 50%. That's ridiculous. To which I'm going, that was their initial offer. When you're doing negotiations, you initially highball, and then your opponent will lowball. That way, you can compromise and meet somewhere in the middle. Sony didn't even offer a counter-argument. They just weren't, nope, we're good. To me, that just shows they had no interest whatsoever in sharing. They just want Spider-Man. Yeah, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. If if Tom, I, I believe in Tom in Tom Holland. Um, but there's only so much he can do but, with his hands legally tied behind his back. Yeah, uh, I do think a Tom Holland Spider Man against a Tom Hardy Venom could be could be interesting, but it'll it'll be nowhere near as interesting as it as it could have been in the MCU. This is going to be one of the most difficult things I've ever said on the podcast. And I want you and the people listening at home to hold me accountable. If this deal does not get changed back and it and Spider-Man truly is gone from the MCU, I'm putting this on record now. Until he goes back to the MCU, I don't care how good the movie is. I will not see another Spider-Man movie in the theater. I'm putting that on record now. I will not support this decision at all. Yeah, I feel that. Like, that's hard, That's really hard for me to say of, hey, I can't watch a Spider-Man movie. But that this is how mad I am about this issue. You really screwed the pooch here. This is not okay. Yeah, I agree. Now... Let's uh, let's move on to some some positive stuff, man. A lot of really cool Whoa! stuff this week. There's some good stuff to talk about now. As uh, I completely emotionally flip. So, 
earlier this year in our predictions, I didn't yep. predict something that I've been predicting for the past three or four years. So, of course, the one year that I don't predict it, it actually happens or looks like it's going to be happening. What am I referring to? Um, Anybody that knows me, for the last few years, I have been championing the return of Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi in some capacity harder than anyone I know because that man deserves to return as Obi-Wan. I had said for years and years we're going to get an Obi-Wan movie, which we'll probably get into that later for our discussion. Um, but it seems incredibly likely, and more than likely will be announced this weekend at D23, but reportedly Ewan McGregor has signed on to reprise his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi in a spin-off uh, TV series on Disney+. Plus, and the skies opened up, and the Lord said, it is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. You gotta say something, man. I'm running out of breath here. <laughs> I'm just... As good as this is, and I'm so glad that Aaron McGregor is returning as Obi-Wan, and I'm happy that it's not in like a movie. It's in a Disney Plus show format, which I think is the perfect way to do an Obi-Wan return. Um, I'm just, I, I've to this day, and I know you've been championing it, but I, Obi-Wan show or any kind of content makes me nervous. Why? I, cause where, where do you put it? Between episodes three and four. No. What? Oh, what? He's going to be like his, his adventures in the desert. Yes. Maybe he's stopping Jabba the Hutt's crime business. That's lame. You mean to tell me in 19 years, he never once left Tatooine ever. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Never once, but also, I know, dude, since I know. you're so I far just... behind on Clone Wars, you don't know about that... the whole Darth Maul thing, which that kind of well... annoys me because Rebels is canon. Well, in Rebels, Obi-Wan finishes off Maul once and for all in a really great episode, but since that's canon, we can't have um, that fight in live-action form because for years, I always thought, what would be the perfect Obi-Wan standalone movie? Darth Maul, who we saw in Clone Wars, was still alive, comes back and discovers that Obi-Wan is still alive, comes back for revenge, and finds him on Tatooine. That would be yeah. great. But I will but say now we they, can't handled do it. It. they handled it beautifully in, in Rebels. Oh, yes. But don't tell me you wouldn't have much rather seen that with Ewan McGregor and Ray Park. Well, yeah. But at the end of the day, like, I'm still standing by this. Like, I, I don't know what store, what kind of interesting story you can tell. I, and that, but that, that's always been my thing with star Wars. I'm fine with the Boba Fett, Boba Fett movie. I'm fine. Really? With You're more okay yeah, with the Boba Fett movie than an Obi-Wan movie. No, 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 no. Hear me out. Let me finish. I'm fine with Obi-Wan. I'm fine with Boba Fett. I'm fine with, you know, what you do doing all these character spinoffs. I don't care. I, I was fine with a, with a solo until they created it. Until they put out what they put out. My point is always. Well, we'll never know what was going to be put out because, you know, Lord Miller got fired 95% of the way through. Yes, but I, 
only care that they tell a good story and or an interesting story. I don't I don't want to see Obi-Wan just for the sake of them bringing back Ewan McGregor. I mean, I it can't wanna... be any worse than prequels, which I think the main reason people want to see him back is even the turds that are the prequels, he's still the best thing about them. Well, yes. So, I mean, sure, let's 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 have another go at this. Um just don't do it for the sake of doing it. Yes. But I don't think that's the case. I think for once, uh, Lucasfilm is actually listening to the fans because I I don't think they do. I genuinely think Lucasfilm doesn't care about the fans. Um, and this is testament to that of how long it's taken for you and McGregor to come back as Obi-Wan. But again, like I said, um, that may be tied into something that we'll discuss in our discussion later. Um, yeah. But... but- to their credit, Star Wars fans are legitimately the worst fans of all. Oh time, yeah, there's so. one uh, YouTube channel that I've been watching that I typically really enjoy their stuff because they have some really good inside scoops and analysis on stuff. But their past like three videos are just Star Wars is losing their child audience to Marvel or the Star Wars fandom is dying. I'm like, okay, the person narrating this video literally opens the video by saying, "I didn't grow up." watching Star Wars, so I don't have the attachment. Like, that immediately disqualifies you from this conversation, then. Yeah. But yeah, ever since Force Awakens or Last Jedi-ish, people just want to whine and complain about current Star Wars. Star Wars fans are the worst. But I... You know me. This is something I've wanted for so long, and I think it will be great. Now, I will say, if this show is not called Hello There, then they're missing... Opportunity. Uh, I I don't care. I I wouldn't. I think it needs to be called something else. But okay. Um, hold on, hold on. First trailer, first trailer. That's what. That's the. That's the line you open with. No, that's the end of the trailer. Oh, end of trailer or or uh something to do with the first episode. Now, um, it may get complicated depending on who is around and what we know. Um, but. If you could have some people show up in this Obi-Wan series, who would you want to show up? Um, so I need a clarification real quick, and I'm going to break my own heart, but I haven't fi- finished Rebels. Is Ahsoka still around? Yes. Okay. I need a cameo from Ahsoka. I've wondered about Ahsoka, but um, it's tricky just because... Ahsoka is like the number one most protected character in the expanded universe just because Dave Filoni's uh the creator of Ahsoka. Yeah. So and he's also in charge of like all the animation stuff, Clone Wars itself. So she is still around. Uh, maybe in like a hologram form, I don't see them meeting face to face. I could see some other like minor characters like maybe a uh, Cad Bane from Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. If Cody is still alive, that would be awesome too. Oh, that would be awkward, but great. Yes. Because um, Cody I is think... alive. He's in Return of the Jedi. Yes. So I think the, the big, I think the coolest thing about um, if he would meet Ahsoka would be that all of the events, oh no, that'd be super tricky. 
Because so, the events of Rebel, the events of Rebels, would be happening at the same time as this show. Yeah, that's why I don't know about Ahsoka. Okay. Um, maybe well, like, she doesn't get involved until a little bit later, right? Uh, she's in season two. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. It'd be it'd be tricky to to say um, the least. Maybe like okay. Did you watch the two D animated Clone Wars? I've seen episodes, but it's it's been a hot. There's minute. a character on that that was on that that never got introduced into the uh, 3D animated version of Clone Wars that I always thought was one of the coolest characters on Clone Wars that I wish they would have brought back called Dirge. I think he used to be in canon, but now he's not anymore. That Obi-Wan fought a bunch of times in the Clone Wars. Uh, Basically, uh, this regenerative general, and he was amazing. Hmm. But... I I wouldn't be surprised if there's some form of crossovers. But again, since Obi-Wan's supposed to be in hiding and not a lot of people know about him, maybe the series will be called Ben Kenobi or just Ben. You know what would be super wild? Is if they do build him, build the show, build it, build it, and then the crossover episode is legit just a lot, a few of the live action episodes of when he meets Maul from Rebels. I'd be fine with that. I don't even care. Shot for shot remake, fine with me. Yeah, that would be incredible. Well, as excited as I am for this Obi-Wan series, I'm sure Josh is just as excited for our next topic. What is that, Josh? Wow. Really, you're, you're doing this on me, huh? Um, well, uh, Matrix 4 is happening. Um, yay, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah, like, and I think, I think we talked about this, I want to say a couple months ago when, uh, there was a rumor that the Wachowskis were, were writing a fourth Matrix movie. And both of our responses were, A, why? Because you like, the third one ties everything on a knot. But also, Jupiter Ascending. Yes. And Cloud Atlas and Speed Racer, which I know you like, but it flopped. Well, well, but, but, like, but that was the point B, was like, why would any studio trust the Wachowskis right now? Also, it's good to note that um, only one of the Wachowskis is coming back for this. Lana is coming yeah. back. Which is interesting, and I don't know why that is. But um, while Lana's directing it, uh, both Carrie Ann Moss, but more importantly, the Lord and Savior of the Internet himself, Keanu, yeah, is really returning works. for this new movie. I just, I'm, I'm hoping for, for Keanu to not get stuck. Spoiler yeah. alert, John Wick 4 is actually Matrix 4. Nah. I just, I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't get stuck in this remake stage of, of, of his career because he's coming back. Not remake, but like sequel. Yeah, we're in the Keanuissance. Yeah. We don't I mean, want to slow that down. But he, I, he is doing, you know, uh, Adventures of Bill and Ted. And now he's doing Matrix 4. Like, I, I just worry that he's going to start just doing, you know, next installments of movies that he hasn't been in in a long, long time. You know what I mean? Yes, we're clearly going to get Point Break 2. Mm-hmm. Point Breaker. 
Get out of here. Speed three. Is he even in Speed 2? No, he wisely dropped out. Yes. Because he's not an idiot sometimes. Sometimes. Well, honestly, actually, I don't think there's a lot of times, I don't think there's anything we can say about Keanu that would be like, that was a mistake. Um, His accent in Dracula? Or being in Dracula? Fair. (laughs) Speaking of people that have made many, many mistakes. <laughs> Daniel Craig. Poor guy. Okay, Poor admittedly, guy. I like Daniel Craig most of the time as an actor. However, I've never super been sold on his bond. I think his bond is okay. His bond is great. His bond movies are iffy. Yes. They they shoot about 50. Casino Royale, pretty good. Quantum of Solace. Hot garbage. Skyfall was actually the first James Bond movie I ever saw, and it's still my favorite, I think. Uh, Spectre, just trash. But now uh, we have our next James Bond movie coming April 2020, and now we officially have the title, and I'm not going to lie, I got excited when it was announced. So the title is No Time to Kill. Uh, no, no time to die. No time to die. Yeah, Both actually say. sound like Bond titles, but no time to die. And I'm not gonna lie, I got excited because this just sounds like an old school Bond title. It does. None so of this the general fancy plot movies. synopsis that I've read quickly in passing was uh, Bond after the events of Spectre is just enjoying a nice retirement uh, at some private island somewhere, and he gets called back to some mission um, with a scientist. Like, kind of protect a scientist or rescue a scientist. And the mission may not be all it's cracked up to be with some treacherous turns and whatnot. And I'm going, well, that sounds like a James Bond story. Um, yep. <laughs> based off the title alone, are you excited for this? Yeah, it sounds old school. And I think if because that's what Casino Royale did was basically it went old school and brought back. I think it's technically a remake, isn't it? Well. Actually, it's not really a remake. Casino Royale is based off of the original Ian Fleming book of mm. Casino Royale, which was the first okay. in the James Bond book series. Yes, um, that's what I'm I think the original Casino Royale is the most that feels like a Bourne movie, and then all the subsequent sequels felt more and more like the traditional kind of cheesy Bond, uh, with yes. Spectre kind of being an awful clash of the two, of like the 70s humor mixed with the dark and gritty Bourne, and that's why that movie really didn't work for me. But mm-hmm. No Time to Die is a great name. It just sounds like um, those classic titles of, like, uh, Die Another Day or You Only Live Twice, um, Diamonds Are Forever. Like, those kind of interesting, but you hear them and you know immediately that they're Bond titles. And so, yeah, it sounds horrible, but this is, I'm excited to for this movie, but I'm also excited to get this one over with because we know this is the last Daniel Craig one before we move on to our next Bond, Henry Cavill. Um, and I kind of want to move past the Daniel Craig era just to see a fresh new take. Well, not just a fresh new take, but I would, I honestly personally would love to see Daniel do, move on to other, the other things. Oh, yeah. Uh, he looks great in the Knives Out trailer. Oh, yeah. I think outside of his terrible southern accent. Um, yeah. 
I'm most looking forward to seeing uh, Rami Malek is in this new Bond movie. The guy that most recently played uh, Freddie Mercury. Yes. I'm excited to see. He's he's supposedly the villain. I'm excited to see him as a villain. He's fantastic. He's a a, a good dude. Um, But so do you think we'll see the passing of the torch here or that be done through – Hey, we're just going to switch act- actors for the next movie. I like that the, as traditionally as what they've done. Or do you think they're going to? Oh, add to I think that? we talked about it a few weeks ago in uh, the show that there was rumors of a female 007, which yes. I was all in favor of. If this Bond has retired, someone's allowed to have the call sign of 007. Yes. So maybe they try and pass the torch to her uh, before we get rebooted south. with a female Bond, not a female Bond, but a female 007. Yes. Which, depending on who it is, totally fine with. If you said it's Leslie Jones, eh, don't know if I'm interested in that. If you told me Emily Blunt is the new 007, yes. Yeah, I, it's... Especially considering she's British. It'll be interesting, to say the least. And I don't know if they realize how gentle they're going to need to be with this. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie and say that I'm an overly attached to James Bond, so I don't really care what happens in the franchise. I just want more good spy movies. I like a good, fun spy movie, like Mission Impossible has been for the past three movies, uh, Skyfall. I would like more of those movies, so I just want them to be good. That's all I really care about. Yeah. Well, I think in today's world, it's going to be really, really hard to not look like Bourne. Yes. Um, We have some other casting news so a project that has been in development for what seems like years is a snake eyes spinoff film based off that uh gi joe character like the only good thing about the gi joe movies from a few years ago and now we have Tatum wasn't bad huh channing tatum wasn't bad oh yeah and then they kill him off in the first five minutes of the second one Look, man, I didn't say it was perfect and the only reason they did that was because the rock was involved and they're like, he can hold the movie. Yeah, that's a whole, that whole second one has this long, interesting story, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but Snake Eyes has, they've rumored to be making a Snake Eyes spinoff movie for the longest time. And now we finally have a casting announcement of who will be playing Snake Eyes. Uh, Henry Golding. He's this big up-and-coming star. He was in... Um, Crazy Rich Asians is really where most people saw him for the first time. That was his big breakout role. He's also in A Simple Favor. Um, he's in this movie coming out later this year, uh, like some Christmas movie with uh, Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. Uh, Josh, I have some thoughts that I'm sure will probably differ for them yours. So you you start us off for this. So I think when the when you we were talking off mic. For this um my first comment was okay I, well he doesn't technically have to be asian because snake eyes wears a mask the whole time but i mean i think what's hitting me the hardest right now is my boy uh black ranger is not involved at all like black ranger no, isn't it the Asian kid from um, from Power Rangers? Well, we'll, we'll talk about him in our next story. But no, the original Snake Eyes was Ray Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know that, but that because that was my point. Uh, that 
you know, he doesn't technically have to be Asian, but I will backtrack on that a little bit because if you're going to do origin, he doesn't always wear the mask. So there is, you've and got that's to have where some... my criticism comes in. I don't yeah. like this at all. Yeah. Um, it has nothing to do with the casting. Well, it kind it does, but it doesn't. I think this kid's got a great future. Um, He's a really good-looking kid from everything I've heard. I've seen A Simple Favor. Wasn't overly impressed, but he was good in it. Uh, he seems like he, a really great actor. He's going to have a great future. I I don't think he's the right pick for this because I can th- I'm already thinking like an executive here of, all right, we got this great, good-looking young kid. He's going to be Snake Eyes. He's, this is going to be his major action franchise. It's going to set him on a pedestal. Um... We got to showcase that he's the star. That way our female audience will be drawn in. If you got a guy that's as handsome as Henry Golding, you're going to want to show him off. And that is the exact opposite of what Snake Eyes is. Snake Eyes as a character, as someone that doesn't really know G.I. Joe that much, what I do know about Snake Eyes is he always has the mask on and he never talks. So what is the point of casting a good-looking young actor if you have a character that doesn't show his face and doesn't speak. That was the brilliance of casting Ray Park in the uh, original G.I. Joe movies was Ray Park is an actor that, like, never speaks. And if his character does speak, someone does his dialogue for him, Darth Maul. But he's great at combat and great at martial arts. That's why Snake Eyes was so cool in the first two. Why do you get such a good-looking guy... It's like getting um, Ryan Reynolds to play Michael Myers. The mask is should be on the whole time. What's the point? Yeah. The only thing I can see is if they do, they use him for the, like, the first half right up into the accident. Because from what I remember, he wears the mask because he's like actually pretty, pretty scarred. Um. <sighs> I can see them using him up until that point, but like, but then again, it still comes back to your point of like, why hire this guy, very well known actor, or this you know an up and coming, very handsome dude, if you're just gonna put a mask on him? Yeah, I, I genuinely don't know the logic behind this. Maybe there's some reason, but also I'm. Even after just two movies, I'm burnt out of the those terrible G.I. Joe movies. I thought they were just yeah. trash. I did not think they were very good. And killing off Channing Tatum definitely did not help. Um, but I could be wrong. This could be great casting, but I I don't think it is. On the flip side, our next casting, yes. Yes and um, yes. <laughs> so uh, the casting I'm referring to is... As some of you know, we're getting a new Mortal Kombat movie produced by James Wan. Important to know, he's not directing, he's producing. Uh, we're getting a new Mortal Kombat. It's going to be hard R. It's going to be showcasing the violent nature of the original video game. And uh, one of the main characters from the game that will be in the movie is Liu Kang. And he will now be played by Power Rangers and Aquaman's Ludi Lin, the Black Ranger that we were literally just talking about. Yes. yes. Okay. He, which is perfect choice. Yes. Young, um, athletic, 
Asian actor that has that charisma and personality that I think could absolutely be leading man material, especially for an action movie like this. Oh, dude. Well, and especially like Liu Kang was always in the past. Liu Kang has been presented as this like very campy, very like at least outside of outside of the game, very campy and very like, oh, like stereotypical Kung Fu dude kind of thing. Whereas in the game, he's very much like this fierce warrior that does kind of have a mouth Honor on bound. him. Yeah, but he's he's still snippy. And Ludi Lin can totally pull that off. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the kid's got charisma for days. I think this is this is just great casting. Um, I would love to see what kind of um, effects and combat he can do for this or what they'll bring to the table with him. Yeah, I... Honestly, I'm just super curious about plot and about who else is going to be involved. And so about I, that, um, I was just looking through Instagram one day and I saw some fan casting uh, for Johnny Cage, Ryan Reynolds. Interesting. I would okay. Be, I would so be down for that. I think that'd be spot on. Uh, or Actually, probably more spot on than I'm willing to admit. Or Bradley Cooper. I could see that too. Okay. Now go with me here. This guy's not known for quality movies, but in terms of what I think of when I think of Johnny Cage, this this quote unquote actor may be spot on. The Miz. Oh man. Don't don't put that in don't put that in my head. You that, know the I Miz gotta... would be perfect for Johnny Cage of this cocky oh, Hollywood stardom guy. I would eat that up. Yep, and oh, now man. now you're welcome. Well, that actually segues us perfectly because The Miz is a former uh, champ and he's still with the WWE. Someone that has wrestled in the WWE before, but also for the competition AEW, is Stephen Amell. Green Arrow for at least a little bit longer. What is Stephen Amell going to be doing after Arrow? Believe it or not, a wrestling show. He'll be doing a show on Stars called Heels where he's more or less going to be uh, running a wrestling promotion. As someone that really likes Stephen Amell, maybe not always his Green Arrow, but likes Stephen Amell as an actor and as a dude, he's really cool. I'm actually really excited for this. Stephen Amell is a huge wrestling fan, so I bet this is this is a passion project for him. I think... <laughs> It's going to be, it's interesting because something like this, you and I are going to come at at very different angles. Kurt Um, angles. uh, Amel comes off as a Marky Mark. Not like, sorry. And that's not, I'm not referring to the funky bunch. It's the term that. Smart wrestling fans. They're the smarks. They're just. To be fair though. He's had quite a few professional wrestling matches now and has not embarrassed himself. That's fair. Um, I don't know, dude. I, I'm always Also, wary. this is a TV show, not a reality show. It is a TV show. Yes. I'm just always wary of these kinds of things. 
because of the perception that they can bring and whatnot. So, I mean, like you said, Stephen Amell is a cool is a cool dude. So, I, 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 I and he's got a lot of passion for this sort of thing. So, I think him starring in it is not a bad thing. I'm more, I think, cautious about a show more than anything else. I, I'm gonna put this on record. I guarantee you, in at least the first season, um, we will get a appearance from Cody Rhodes because oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, thanks to Stephen Amell, Cody Rhodes was actually able to break into television in the first place. Cody Rhodes made several appearances on Arrow, and as soon as Stephen Amell made that announcement, Cody Rhodes said something about like, "I would love to be on this show." Um, Stephen Amell is super tight with Cody Rhodes. For those of you who are kind of casual, uh, Cody Rhodes and some friends are the ones starting AEW coming into the fall, which is going to be a another promotion that's going to try and go head-to-head with WWE and got a lot of momentum behind him. Uh, Cody Rhodes, cool dude. I guarantee you there's going to be some form of a crossover with AEW. Stephen Amell is very tight with those guys. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, we'll see. Uh, I We don't know what the show is about or anything like that, just that it's called Heels and that it'll be starring Stephen Amell. So uh, I look forward to being proven wrong and have my worries cast aside. As you are often proven wrong. Yeah, well, obviously. I'm, I'm okay with that, though. <laughs> All right. You got a sponsor for us this week before we transition to our main discussion? Not really, dude. I mean, it's it's definitely not Sony, I'll tell you that. <sighs> it's not. <laughs> this week's episode brought to you by Party City, who should get off their lazy butts and start wheeling out more Halloween decorations. I mean, the spirit stores are starting to pop up, so I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. I love all the it's memes really... that are just like spirit stores this time of year waiting for dead stores yes! officially close. So I found something out interesting from my girlfriend, uh, who is, you know, a Halloween fanatic. Um, she waits until the, like, I think because they, spirit stores close like two days after Halloween or something like that. Mm-hmm. You go the Yeah, day you go after. November 1st. Yeah, you go November 1st and get, she got like, like four or five costumes for like 20 bucks or something like that. Oh, yeah. So I, I had no idea that, that you could yeah, do man, this. Yeah, man, I got myself I, a nice Superman tie last year for six bucks. I had no idea you could do this, man. Like, I just thought. Yeah, it's uh, like going to get candy the day after Valentine's Day or the day after Halloween. I just, yeah. So I, that might be something, you know, because I, I, I always could use props and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting. Yeah, man. Well. The more you know. And knowing is half the battle, speaking of G.I. Joe. <laughs> hey, so, you know what? I don't think we've talked at all about what our topic is today. We have not. So this is a topic um, that is weird for me to say. This is the topic that I've put genuinely the most amount of research I have ever done for a podcast. And actually, besides some of the story pitches that I've done uh, for the main channel, this is also probably the most research I've ever done for one of our uh, videos, period. So Josh and I sometimes like to talk about the hypotheticals of if you change just one little thing, how it can alter something completely. The butterfly, the butterfly effect. Uh, they beat you to death with it in Until Dawn, which I still love that game. But if you change something, how can it change everything else around it? 
What If, if you will. So in honor of the What If animated series is going to be coming to Disney+, Plus, it got me thinking about five What Ifs in the world of comic book movies. If you guys like this whole What If topic, we can revisit it later, which is movies in general or more specific topics. But today, we're going to go over five What If scenarios with different comic book movies. We've got um, three from Marvel and two from DC. I tried to split it up a little bit. So we're not going to change anything about the movies themselves, but things around and circumstances around the movies. So we looked into uh, the films itself, um, what plans may have been post that movie, and what it may have done to alter if... Just follow along with us, if you will, for this what if. So right off the bat... Picture 2015's Fan Four Stick, one of the worst superhero movies of all time. What if Fan Four Stick was good? So, Josh, before we get started, did you have the misfortune of seeing Fan Four Stick? Oh, I did. I also had the misfortune of seeing it in theaters. <gasps> you did? Yes. Why? <sighs> My. F- the girl I was dating at the time was a big nerd and didn't believe me when I said it was going to be a train wreck. It was going to be a train wreck. And then we went and watched it. And I looked at her when we were walking out and I was like, well, she's like, you're right. It was a train wreck. So it, was, it is one of the so, worst comic book movies of all time, oh, but dude, it didn't have I have to never, be. I have never, ever been in so much Physical pain in in a movie theater while watched just from the movie. Oh yeah, um, I will say though, I watched it and I own it on DVD because it was five bucks, and I wanted to do a Five Good Things video on it. Also, an incredibly hard video, um, with the number one being Michael B. Jordan. He was a great Human Torch. But oh, yeah. coming back to it, what if that movie was good? What would have been the ramifications for 20th Century Fox, the Fantastic Four brand as a whole? And the greater 20th Century Fox universe. Also, Star Wars, if you will. So, here's where extensive, well, mild research for this one. Extensive research for some other questions we'll get later. So, as some of you know, Josh Trank, the director of Chronicle, was tasked to direct this movie. Not only that, but um, during this film's production... He was being overseen by Simon Kinberg, who was a producer for Fox, but also was very closely tied with Lucasfilm, who were developing these things called anthology movies, where they were hoping to make these Star Wars spinoff movies. One about these rebels that steal plans from the Death Star, one about some of you know, the dark underworld of Star Wars, and one about Boba Fett. And Josh Trank, the director of Fanforstick, was supposed to direct this Boba Fett movie. But let's just say he had some erratic behavior on the set of Fanforstick. Uh, Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, for those of you not keeping up. Um, he had some erratic behavior. We won't go into full details, but let's just say behind the scenes of Fantastic Four was a legendary mess of how bad it was of Literally physical altercations taking place on set. Uh, the director being locked out of the editing room while people messed with the movie. He also didn't handle it very well. Um, but 
um, Josh Trank was going to be attached to this Boba Fett movie until he wasn't. So, uh, flash forward to Star Wars Celebration 2015. And there was going to be some information about the um, anthology movies with Rogue One coming up. And they said, Josh Trank will be here to discuss his anthology movie. Well, two days before um, Celebration, Josh Trank, quote-unquote, became ill and wouldn't be available. Hmm, sounds a little suspicious. Only to find out a few weeks later that Disney had fired him for his attitude and his overall... Um, demeanor for fan four stick. Yeah, and this this could just be me putting on my tinfoil hat. This was the start of the cursed anthology movies. Rogue One had a whole bunch of other production issues, which we may do a whole what if Star Wars edition at some point. That had a whole bunch of issues. Soul had a whole bunch of issues. I'm under the impression that if Josh Trank had a good Fantastic Four movie and they move forward with this Boba Fett movie, the odds are very high that we would have gotten an Obi-Wan movie much sooner or probably at all. We could have gotten the anthology movies off to a much better start. Also, um, this could just be me, but if Fan Stick was good, we probably would have had a sequel by now given that the first one came out in 2015. And if you had both oh, yeah. a healthy... Um, Fantastic Four series coming off the back of 2016's Deadpool, you have, if you're Fox, you have not one, but two healthy comic book franchises. And if you up your game a little bit with uh, X-Men, you may still be a company. I don't think, if Fantastic Four did well, and that's still around to this day, I don't think Disney buys Fox or has the capital to. I think Fox stays as it is because it's got this revenue from Deadpool and Fantastic Four now instead of just Deadpool. Well, and the amount of storytelling that they'd be able to do do with Fantastic Four and Deadpool and actually have, if they were able to make the the X-Men franchise a little healthier as well, it would be the sky would be the limit for them. Yeah, I I can't even imagine just because of how bad Fan Stick was. If it was good, and there's not a whole bunch of details of what a second one would have been, primarily just because I don't think the studio was even thinking that far ahead. They're probably just thinking, let's just get this crap over with and give it to Marvel. Um, yeah, but I think the whole comic book industry could have had a very different landscape. And also the Star Wars landscape, potentially, as well, if Fan Stick was good. Well, and to think about it, too, because 2015, I might have to double-check here really quick. Um, but, yeah, because Creed came out later that year. Yes, Michael B. Jordan is the only one that was able to recover his career. Uh, the rest Correct. of the actors, and even the director, Josh Trank, has not had a film since Fan Stick. The actors themselves have not really recovered. Michael B. Jordan has recovered because he did Creed and Black Panther back-to-back. That really helped his career. Miles Teller, nothing since, unfortunately, even though he's a great Which actor. Kate Mara, nothing. Because uh, Miles Toby Teller Kebble, was coming nothing. Off, M- Miles Teller was coming off of Whiplash. That was what, 2014? Yeah. Yeah, Miles Teller had a hot streak coming into Fan Stick, and nothing since. So if this movie was yeah, good, it's... you have four big-time actors that could have completely different careers. No, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, to say the least. 
Now, we switch from Marvel to DC, and one of, if not the biggest what if, the Loch Ness Monster, if you will, of comic book movies. What if Superman Lives was actually made? So for those of you who don't know, Superman Lives was a Tim Burton-directed Superman movie starring Nicolas Cage as Superman. Now, here's where we have quite a bit of detail, thanks to a phenomenal documentary by John Schnepp, may he rest in peace, called The Death of Superman Lives. What happened? So, if you will indulge me for a little story time, I will give you a full detail rundown of what this Nicolas Cage, Tim Burton, Superman movie would have been, and we can discuss the what-if that would have come with it. So, Superman Lives would have been made around 1998, so almost 20 years ago. But you also have to think of the comic book landscape at the time, but we'll come back to that in in a second. It was actually canceled because of multiple failures from Warner Brothers, most notably Batman and Robin. Oh, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Steel, Josh's favorite. And also a colossal flop starring Kevin Costner called The Postman. So Warner Bros. had a string of terrible flops, one after another after another, which led to this film being canceled the day before it was set to shoot. But thankfully, not all was lost, as the money that was going to be allocated to Superman Lives went to some other movie instead called Wild Wild West, which... Mm. Flopped really hard. Oh, which is really unfortunate because I, I rewatch it now and it's, it's weird, man. It's weird, but it's like a fun kind of weird. Which uh, Wild Wild West? We'll circle back to. There's an element that was supposed to be in Superman Lives that ended up in Wild Wild West. We'll come back to that though. Uh, so, like we said, would have been directed by Tim Burton, starring Nicolas Cage as a mullet sporting Superman. We'll we'll get to the mullet in a second. Um, Sandra Bullock as Lois Lane, Chris Rock as Jimmy Olsen, Christopher Walken as Brainiac, Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, which would ultimately happen with Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor in 2006's Superman Returns, but we'll double back to Superman Returns in a little bit here. Um, for those of you questioning the Nicolas Cage casting choice, Keep in mind that this was 90s Nicolas Cage, not 2010s Nicolas Cage. 90s Nicolas Cage had a much better profile. In fact, he was, at this point, if this was coming out in 19... This was being filmed in 1998, he was actually just coming off an Academy Award in 96 for leaving Las Vegas. So, at the time, he was still a very well-regarded actor. So, the plot of the movie would have revolved... The around the death and the return of Superman, which had only just recently happened in the comics. Bat, uh, not Batman. Superman had only died in the death of Superman in 1993. So it was still a relatively recent thing. But given how good the comic sales were for that event, Warner Bros. was very quick to try and capitalize on that. Uh, other story details that we have are the main villains being Brainiac and Lex Luthor, who eventually in the movie would meld into one physical being kind of uh, called Lexiac, which is a dumb name. Uh, but some of the concept art show them melding together and almost looking like um, Professor Quirrell in the first Harry Potter movie of like two heads back to back. And it looks super weird. Um, the finale would have seen Superman versus Doomsday in an underground subway system. Um, and it got shut down only a day after official photos of Nicolas Cage in a suit were taken. 
Um, now, this is where it gets a little weird. The suit was a little bit more rubbery and armored, and Nicolas Cage's Superman would have had long hair. But keep in mind, this is also at a time in the comics where Superman had long hair and a mullet almost, because 90s comics were weird, and let's kind of forget about that. Based off the, yeah. the details that I just gave, Josh, would you be interested in this movie at all? Honestly, yeah. And, you know, maybe that's because I, I love me some uh, Nicolas Cage. But especially, like, the level that Nicolas Cage was acting at at this point in time would have been phenomenal to see him do an actual, like, superhero film. And it would be, would have been really weird but interesting to see Tim Burton tackle Superman. I don't know if Tim Burton was the right choice, but um, you got to think, Tim Burton was also coming off uh, Batman from 89 and 92 with Batman Returns. So it's not like the Tim Burton we know nowadays of really, really weird and kind of box office flops. He was still in his prime of still making weird movies, but financially successful weird movies. So yeah. while Superman may be radically different than Batman, I don't think tonally Tim Burton is the right choice. I do think Nicolas Cage probably would have been a great choice for Superman in that uh, Nicolas Cage is a huge fan of the character of Superman. And I think he would have had a lot of input of how can we make this character better? How can we make Superman the best that he can be? Um, I've seen what official pictures of him are. It's on the thumbnail for this video. I don't think he actually looks that bad in the suit. He looks like how the 90s... Superman in the comics looks. Um, another detail about the story that I completely forgot that revolves around Wild Wild West is um, one of the main reasons the movie didn't happen is this jerk of a producer named John Peters, who's been a producer on all the Superman movies up until Man of Steel, when Christopher Nolan wouldn't let him anywhere near the project, thank goodness. Uh, but John Peters insisted, insisted to the original screenwriter, uh, Kevin Smith, actually, before he departed the project, uh, that you need to have a giant spider. You need to have spy, uh, Superman fight a giant spider because spiders are the most dangerous predators in the animal kingdom. And Kevin Smith's just going, whatever, dude. Weird, but okay. So he recalled, he renamed the giant spider a Thanagarian snare beast uh, in reference to Thanagar, the home world of uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. But a giant Superman, just picture Superman fighting a gigantic spider. How does this relate to Wild Wild West? Well, instead of uh, Superman Lives being made, we got Wild Wild West, which John Peters was a producer for that instead. The finale of that is Will Smith's character fighting a giant robotic spider. (laughs) Jeez. Well, John Peters got what he wanted. Yeah. But I mean, like Wild West, at least a little bit of a little bit enjoyable on some kind of level. But yeah, I it, it it's interesting to see all the background stuff. But to think of what could have happened had the movie a actually been released and b been good, I think it would have changed the landscape of superhero movies. I I would dare say. We have an early renaissance. I don't know about that, but I'll, I will say 
because of Superman Lives, um, that got shut down, we kind of got in a lull and there was stop and go for a lot of Superman projects uh, for the next couple of years until around 2003, Warner Brothers approached J.J. Abrams, of all people, to do his version of Superman, Superman Flyby, which also didn't end up happening. But that ultimately led to 2006's Superman Returns with Brian Singer, which did end up happening. Uh, that one was more bright and very much in tone with the original uh, Richard Donner um, Superman movies. And then fast forward a couple of years after that, Superman Returns was not financially successful. We get 2013's Man of Steel, which is the dark, gritty reboot um, with Zack Snyder. I think if this Nicolas Cage dark, gritty Superman, dark, realistic Superman happened, I genuinely think we don't get Man of Steel because I think if Warner Brothers went with a dark and gritty 90s um, Superman, for better or for worse, if it did succeed, we probably would have gotten a couple sequels of that. If it didn't succeed, I would think Warner Brothers would want a completely different approach for Superman, not a dark and gritty approach. So maybe we would have gotten Superman Returns later down the line, but I don't think we would get another dark and gritty incarnation. I think since we have Superman Returns, that was bright and hopeful, and they're like, oh, that didn't work. We'll go to the dark and gritty. I think if we got the dark and gritty early on, we don't have the Zack Snyder Man of Steel movies. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, maybe that would have saved us the debacle of the Zack Snyder films. But I, mean, I will defend still... Man of Steel is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the ones after it? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it would have been interesting to say the least. Now, switching back to Marvel, we have another movie that was almost in production before it ultimately got shut down. Gee, uh, I wonder why. Mm. So, a lot of people, their favorite Spider-Man is the Tobey Maguire trilogy directed by Sam Raimi. Well, we almost got a Spider-Man 4 and then some. So, our what if, what if Spider-Man 4 got made? What would it have looked like and what would the Spider-Man landscape have looked like after Spider-Man 4? So, what we do know, we don't know a whole bunch of details about what Spider-Man 4 is, but through some various interviews and research that we've compiled, this is kind of what we know about what uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 would have looked like. Uh, everyone would have returned except for maybe Kirsten Dunst. That was kind of up in the air. Her contract expired after Spider-Man 3, which is why they introduced Bryce Dallas Howard's character in Spider-Man 3 of Gwen Stacy. Just on the off chance that Kirsten Dunst didn't re-sign, they would have another love interest to insert instead. Uh, it would have seen John Malkovich as the Vulture years before Michael Keaton would perfect the role in Homecoming. Anne Hathaway, or she would become... Anne Hathaway's Black Cat, years before she would become um, Catwoman, Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. And the most interesting one, Bruce Campbell would have been the opening villain of the scene that quickly gets apprehended by Spider-Man in Mysterio. Since Bruce Campbell was actually a character in every single Spider-Man movie, uh, he was the uh, ring announcer in the first Spider-Man movie, he was the theater attendant in Spider-Man 2, and he was the restaurant waiter in Spider-Man 3, because Bruce Campbell's a close friend of Sam Raimi's. So he ultimately would have been revealed to be Mysterio in Spider-Man 4, um, with the, um, yeah, Vulture actually, and Black Cat, as I said. Huh? 
yeah, the cast, the casting of Bruce and, and Anne Hathaway, especially at that time period, would have been a lot of fun, honestly. Yeah, so those are the main villains for that one. Tobey Maguire was actually signed on for six movies. We didn't get them. We only got three. Um, with six movies, it kind of makes me think that they eventually would have gone to a Sinister Six. Now, it wouldn't have happened in Spider-Man 4, but further down the line, there has always been talk and rumors that um, Dylan Baxter's character of Kirk Connors, who was in all the Spider-Man, uh, at least Spider-Man 2 and 3, I don't remember if he was in the first one, that Dr. Kirk Connors would eventually become the Lizard and would be one of the villains in either maybe 5 or 6. Uh, so Spider-Man 4 was supposed to have a release date of May 2011. Well, we got a Spider-Man movie in 20, uh, either 2011 or 2012, but it wasn't Spider-Man 4. Josh, what was it yeah. instead? It was The Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man starring Andrew Garfield. So... With Malkovich being the villain as a vulture, as the vulture, and uh, Anne Hathaway's black cat, Tobey Maguire coming back, would you have wanted to see the Spider-Man 4, or would you rather have seen Amazing Spider-Man? I think, honestly, Spider-Man 4. I mean, uh, 3 is not as bad as it, as everyone makes it out to be, but... Yep, I completely agree. Yeah, it, it definitely wasn't as... It's the, definitely the weakest of the series, but at least four would have been an opportunity to redeem everything. Yeah, I agree. Um, so here's where we kind of go more into the theoretical of what we think may happen post Spider-Man 4, 5, or 6. I think if we kept up with this Tobey Maguire timeline, I don't think we get Andrew Garfield's two Spider-Man movies. However, I think there may be a decent chance that we still ended up with Tom Holland as an MCU version of Spider-Man. Um, because I think by the time you get to 2016, which is when Civil War uh, was released, Tobey Maguire would have been doing it for 15 years? So yeah. I'm sure they could have integrated it, but at that point he probably would have looked older than Captain America. So maybe they would want yeah. to recast with Tom Holland. Well, and I could totally see them. I could. I think the thing I could see would being would be Sony being like, "Well, no, guys, we made our money with this. We've had this for you know however long. Think think we can. We've been quite successful at the Spider-Man thing." Think it's okay to sell it. I honestly think that if if they had gone all the way to six, I think Sony might have been more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Inclined. In, yeah, more inclined to maybe think about selling it back to Marvel. I'm not sure. I think it, I think it'd be interesting to say the least. I, I yes. yeah, I definitely feel like we don't have Garfield, but. With Garf, uh, with McGuire getting up in years, I could see them replacing him with Holland for sure. Yes. Yeah, Spider-Man 4 is one that we don't have a ton of information on just because it. the general consensus that Sam Raimi says in interviews is it felt very much like after 3, they were ready to reboot it, whatever the reason for that is. Yes. Now, flipping back to DC, and one that we actually have quite a bit of information on, and it is absolutely fascinating to me. 
the what if scenario here? What if Batman and Robin, one of the worst comic movies of all time, I know we said about Fan Stick, but Batman and Robin has had lasting damage for a lot of, um, not just for Batman, but in the comic book genre as a whole. We'll, we'll get into it in a second. What if Batman and Robin was good? Well, did you know that there was actually plans for a Batman and Robin sequel that would have been radically different than the movie that we got with Batman and Robin? So, director Joel Schumacher, the director of the Gerard Butler Phantom of the Opera, but also the director of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, um, he took the fan feedback from Batman and Robin to heart, and he took it very personally. And he felt very, um, he felt bad towards the fans. He didn't quite deliver the movie that they would have liked. He did a very... 60s era, like a very Adam West Batman movie with Batman and Robin. A lot of fans weren't happy with that. So he still to this day apologizes to fans of, I'm sorry uh, I made this movie, but the more I learned about Batman and Robin, the more I realized it wasn't his fault. And the studio literally told him, we're making toys first and a movie second. So it's not really his fault. But um, after Batman and Robin, director Joel Schumacher went back to the drawing board and wanted to take Batman more in a dark direction. He got that fans didn't like the bright, colorful cheesiness of Batman and Robin. So, enter Batman Triumphant slash Batman Unchained, which is would have been the next in that um, original Joel Schumacher slash Tim Burton era of Batman movies. So, uh, this would have been a mid-1999 release, and it would have ignored all the events of Batman and Robin. Good start. However, it wouldn't have starred George Clooney as Batman slash Bruce Wayne because after Batman and Robin, Clooney refused to return to the role. And I don't say I blame him. Instead, the rumors suggest that Kurt Russell would have replaced Batman. Would have replaced him as Batman. Um, Thoughts, Josh? Interesting. Kurt well, it- Russell. <sighs> As Batman. That's almost as weird as Bill Murray replacing uh, Michael Keaton, which Bill Murray almost was Batman. Look it up. I. What, why Kurt? Like, why not, like, go back to, I don't, you know, the, these other two stellar actors you've had so far with him? Why why go to Kurt? Kurt's a good, good actor, but yeah, I when I see Kurt Russell, I don't think Batman, but I guess the studio thought about it. Um, Chris O'Donnell would have returned as Dick Grayson. Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl would not have returned. Thank goodness for that. She was not very good. Um, but as even though Chris O'Donnell was set to return, he and Batman were going to have an argument early on in the movie that sees them split, and uh, you wouldn't see a lot of Robin for most of the movie. Um, so the main villain of this movie would have been, and again, He's going to pop back up. Nicolas Cage. So many projects that he was almost attached to. Nicolas Cage, to me, in a much better role for him, he would have been the main villain as Scarecrow. Which, honestly, like, thinking about Cage as Scarecrow, would that's perfect for him. Even probably to this day. Just some of the expressions that he has, spot on. Oh, absolutely. 
So, yeah, it would have had Nicolas Cage as the main villain as Scarecrow, and the finale would have seen Batman trapped inside of Arkham Asylum on trial with all the previous villains in the Batman movies with cameos from all the original actors. So Jack Nicholson would have come back as the Joker. Um, It would have been a dream sequence via uh, Scarecrow hallucinogen, like fear toxin. So you would have Jack Nicholson return. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer return, Danny DeVito return. So it would have had all these um, villains return with um, Chris O'Donnell ultimately returning as Robin at the end of the movie to help Batman save the day. Now, here's also where it gets really interesting. Tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. The movie would have ended with Batman entering a cave of bats, showing that he ultimately conquered his fears. Ends with him standing in a cave surrounded by moving bats. So here's the thing. Even just like leading up into that, you have Scarecrow as your main villain. There's going to be a finale in, in Arkham Asylum. There, he, and he's going to end, end it with uh, entering a cave of bats. That's legitimately Batman Begins. Yep. So Warner Brothers didn't completely ditch this story. Certain elements either showed up in Batman Begins or Arkham Asylum, the video game, or even some story elements show up in Arkham Knight. So Joel Schumacher may have actually been onto something. So even though this story got canceled, elements of it still find their way into Batman lore in one way or another. Yes. Well, and it's interesting because I... um, yeah, there's no, there's not another Batman adaptation until Batman Begins. Which, it, which brings you to um, where I'm going to have some of my what ifs. I say if Batman and Robin was good and the fans liked it, we don't get the Dark Knight trilogy. I agree. Because follow the logic of if we keep going with these Batman movies um, with a Batman Unchained or Triumphant, whatever we want to call it, keep going with that timeline, Warner Brothers wouldn't feel the need to reboot it to begin with. They wouldn't need to start over with Batman. And also, they wouldn't need to start over in a dark and gritty tone, which is why they went with Christopher Nolan being a more grounded and realistic director. If we got this Unchained, we would have had that dark and gritty Batman already. So... I don't think we get the Dark Knight trilogy. We don't get Batman Begins, which is one of the best Batman movies ever made. We don't get the Dark Knight, one of the best movies ever made. If Batman and Robin is good, we miss out on a lot of great movies, actually. But also, um, due to the failure of Batman and Robin, the studio wanted and tried a couple times before Batman Begins to get a couple different Batman projects off the ground, including Requiem for a Dream's director, Darren Aronofsky, doing a Batman Year One movie that would have been a hard R. There's also some discussions of a Batman Beyond movie at some points, but that ultimately fell through. Um, But also, like we said earlier, one of the reasons why Superman Lives didn't get off the ground is because the box office failings of Batman and Robin, which fell more than 67% in its opening weekend to its second weekend. So if Batman and Robin did financially well, Warner Brothers may not have had cold feet when it came to doing another superhero movie in that same era. If Batman and Robin did well, maybe the funds would have been there to do Superman Lives. 
Maybe their confidence would have been up. They would have kept going with Batman and Superman stories before not doing them until um, 2005 with Batman Begins. I don't know. I think Batman and Robin is a really interesting pivot point for a lot of comic book um, history of if it was good and it was well-received, um, after Batman and Robin, we got a lot more shifted focus towards good but gritty storytelling with our superhero movies. We didn't get a lot of cheesy and corny as as much. We still had it from time to time, but there was this shifted focus towards telling the best possible stories that we could. Comic book movies were taken more seriously after the failings of Batman and Robin. And if it did well, I the whole history of comic book movies, I think, gets changed. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And, you know, there's all kinds of ramifications from that. But, yeah, like, I mean, it means Heath Ledger's still alive to do all his acting. It means, you know, we'd never get that Christopher Nolan Batman or a Christian Bale Batman. Um, you know, that that's a... There's, probably a lot bigger ramifications for this particular what what if than all of the ones we've done so far. Mm-hmm. Like, we like to rag on Batman and Robin a lot just because of it's. N- I'm not a huge fan of it. But it really does represent a big turning point of it changes a lot of history if you change it to be a successful movie instead. Mm-hmm. Now, well, and if it's if it's successful, do you think George Clooney comes back? That is a very good point. I think, yeah, if it did well and fans re- received it well, I think he could have come back. And I still say to this day, and that may there may be people that hate me for it, I still think George Clooney is our best Bruce Wayne that we've ever gotten. I'll give you that. Yeah, sure. He was not a good Batman, but he's the best Bruce Wayne because George Clooney is essentially Bruce Wayne already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just this whole Batman and Robin thing, it's just, it's always fascinating to me because it doesn't just impact Batman. It changes a lot of the film landscape. It even impacts our last story, but we'll come to that in a roundabout way towards the end. Our We saved our biggest what if for last. As you know, as we discussed at length, um, Marvel does not own the film rights to all of its characters. It's getting more and more of them back uh, with they just bought Fox and so they have Fantastic Four and X-Men back, but Sony still is in control of Spider-Man. Our last what if, our biggest what if, what if Marvel never sold the film rights to its comic book characters? And this is the one that I think has the biggest implications. So before we go into the, the speculation of what we think history may have looked like if they hadn't sold. We have to kind of do a little bit of history research as to what led to the sale, why did Marvel sell to begin with, and kind of the landscape back in the mid to late 90s. Hmm, right around the time of Batman and Robin. Hmm. So, um, Marvel Entertainment first established Marvel Films around 1995 in order to license out characters. Um... But the weird thing is they license out these characters not for the box office money. They license out these characters for uh, merchandising, 
And because they thought if uh, comic book movies came out with these characters, that it would lead to increased sales in comic books. So they sold these licenses for potential, not guaranteed, potential comic book sales and for merchandising. Why? Which is, it's interesting to me that they would think that people would see the movies and then go, oh, I'll go read the comics now. Honestly, I find myself reading the comics of the characters that don't have movies. I'm reading a bunch of Nightwing. I'm reading a bunch of Flash. I'm reading a bunch of Superman because those are characters I don't see on the big screen. So why Marvel thought this was a good strategy, I don't know. Yeah. But the reason that they were doing this is because by the mid-90s, fewer and fewer people were actually buying more Fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer people were actually buying comic books. So if less people are buying comic books, you have to make them more expensive to kind of make up more cost. If you make them more expensive, it alienates more of your audience. So it was a, it wasn't a very good um, cycle that Marvel was going through. At one point, their stock was valued at two dollars and forty eight cents a share. That is not good at all. That's very very bad. Yeah. Um. Which, interesting side note, with it being this cheap, had studios been thinking ahead, if the stock was this low, it would have been very, very easy. And we can discuss this at the end. It would have been very easy for a studio like Sony, Universal, or Fox to just buy Marvel Comics and already own the license. However, there's another name that I think could have bought Marvel back in the mid-90s that could have forever changed the landscape. But I'll come back to that. I'll I'll leave you, I'll tease you with that for now. We'll come back to that. Okay, okay. Um, So, to save themselves, Marvel Films merged with a company called Toy Biz, who had two executives whose names would be forever linked with Marvel. Avi Arad, who I mentioned very briefly in my... Spider-Man rant earlier. He's been a producer on almost every Spider-Man project since the first Spider-Man movie. And some guy named Isaac Ike Perlmutter, who has been a Disney executive ever since and has been in charge of Marvel ever since. And Kevin Feige has only just recently got under his control and reporting to just directly Bob Iger. Interesting. I was very, I was very curious to see Isaac Perlmutter's name when I was doing some research. It's like I know that name. Yeah. So Arad made deals with Fox for X Men and Sony for Spider Man, and that's how he ended up being a producer on everything for um, Spider Man. But how does this relate to our modern Spider Man, um, our mar- modern Marvel landscape? So in two thousand three, one of Marvel's employees named David Mazel suggested making movies with their B-level characters that they hadn't licensed out yet. Um, But Marvel was still broke, so they needed a lot of money. Marvel made a deal with the big company Merrill Lynch that, uh, hey, you give us some money, and we will try and make a good return on your investment. However, Marvel was so broke that they needed to offer up some collateral. So... This is this is gonna sound so weird, but Marvel offered up Thor and Captain America to Mar to Merrill Lynch for 
for $525 million over seven years. That's that's combined. $525 million for seven years. That's not a big budget. That ranges for a movie no. that ranges for like $45 million to $100 million per movie. That is, mm, that's not a lot. So what this means is if Marvel didn't make its money back, then they would have lost the rights, the film rights, to Captain America and Thor forever. Yeah. Nothing so they could have done to get it back. So just to be clear, that's that means Iron Man isn't successful. Yes. So the first one they had to do, this is why Iron Man is such a big deal. Before Iron Man came out, he was not a well-known character. He was a B-level character. Like, comic book people knew who he was. It was Iron Man with a actor coming out of rehab for a uh, for a lot of drunken disorderly conduct. And if I remember right, he almost hit somebody one night while he was drunk driving. Robert Downey Jr., aware, yeah. who um, actually had to pay for his own insurance on the set of uh, Iron Man because no one wanted to cover him because he was such a liability at the time. But John, director John Favreau had to personally vouch for him to be in the movie. John Favreau, also at the time, not a proven director. So you have an unproven character, an unproven director, and a very, very dangerous risk as your main actor in Robert Downey Jr. But the film ended up being a huge, huge success. So they were able to keep Captain America and Thor. At, but if you go back and watch the credits for Iron Man, it's still distributed by Paramount um, and a couple other people. It wasn't until 2009 when Disney bought Marvel. So, if the studio had sold, how do you think the landscape would have changed, Josh? If the studios had ended up having to get rid of Thor and get rid of Cap. Not just get rid of that. If they never licensed out their character, if they never license out Spider-Man, if they never license out X-Men. Oh, okay. Um, that's interesting because like, it would be very easy to assume that they would end up making movies anyway, but... But that's not it, guaranteed because they couldn't afford it. it yeah, that, that, that's what I'm going back to because, I mean, at the end of the, end of the day, they, they licensed out the characters for movies because they needed money. Because comic sales weren't going well. I almost feel like them selling the rights to their characters is an eventuality no matter what happens. I completely agree. As much as I go on this Spider-Man rant earlier today, and as much as I hate it, without them selling to Sony, without them selling to Fox, I genuinely think we don't have a Marvel yeah, I don't think Marvel exists in 2019. They may, they may, but not as a solo thing. Um, I completely see them being bought out. Just I could see someone buying them out in the mid nine, mid to late 90s just for the film rights, but not bothering to keep the comic book business open. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, I said earlier, um, they could have easily been bought by Sony or Universal or Fox, but there's another studio... That at the time, I looked up who was the top players in the industry in the mid to late 90s at the box office. Number one was Buena Vista, an offshoot of Disney. 
Um, number two is the people that I think history could have looked very, very different if these people bought uh, Marvel when it was very, very cheap. And follow me here. It wouldn't have been too far-fetched to see them do it. Warner Brothers. Oh, man, that would have changed everything. So imagine if the company that was making DC movies also made Marvel movies. Do you think, that would never happen. But you got to think, this is around the time of Batman and Robin and Superman Lives that we talked about earlier. Um, Batman and Robin didn't do too well. Superman Lives didn't even get off the ground. If I'm an executive at Warner Brothers, maybe I'm starting to think, maybe DC's not our best option. But maybe there's something with Marvel. Maybe we don't completely give up on the superhero genre yet. Maybe we just need some other characters to intermingle. This could just be me putting on my tinfoil hat, but if you're the number two company out there with Warner Brothers, you have the capital to buy a really cheap Marvel at the time. And if one aspect of your comic book movies aren't doing well, maybe you buy up a different field of it to try that instead. I just, could you imagine... Like if Warner let's, Brothers let's, presents the Avengers. Well, like, okay, let's let's just for the sake of the what if, let's assume that okay, yes, they get they buy Marvel and they're like, hey, like this is going really well. They start to get, get some traction. They're like, okay, let's we seem to have found a formula. Let's go revisit DC movies. And they and then all of a sudden those start going well too. And now they have the two biggest comic book franchises of all time now in film. Like how the, the But also Warner... in the mid to late nineties is also when um you had Amalgam Comics, which was a crossover for both Marvel and DC Comics. So maybe this is just me speculating, but maybe further down the road, if they got Marvel and DC together all in one house by Warner Brothers, if they weren't in trouble with maybe like monopolizing the market, you could have an Avengers and Justice League movie. Dude, Warner Brothers would have been, would have become, would have been become bigger than Disney easily. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And all it would have taken would have been them to buy Marvel when it was cheap. Yeah. All because Marvel was really struggling and selling the film rights was their last option. Um, so some other obvious things that don't happen to Marvel. Um, if Marvel keeps their film rights and they don't make a movie or they go bankrupt and they go out of business, we don't have, I genuinely think we don't have cinematic universes. The only reason cinematic universes are a thing and everyone wants their own cinematic universe nowadays is because of the success of the Avengers movies. We don't have the Avengers movies if the Marvel movies fold before they even have a chance to become anything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would, I would argue that maybe eventually somebody would, because Kevin Feige wouldn't have a job if if the Marvel Cinematic Universe doesn't exist. So he's going to be available. I genuinely think that. A cinematic universe would have happened eventually, but without the selling of Marvel, 
Marvel's film rights, it, it doesn't look the same. I, without, if Marvel doesn't sell their film rights, I don't think we usher in this new golden era of comic book movies where we get them every couple months. Because before Iron Man, yeah, we had some big ones with um, Spider-Man, but that's because, with Spider-Man and the X-Men, that's because the rights were licensed out. If Marvel never sells those rights, we don't have Spider-Man. We don't have X-Men. We don't have the revitalization of the comic book genre after Batman and Robin so brutally killed the genre. If the rights are never sold, we don't have those movies. We don't have the MCU. Um, Thankfully, we wouldn't have Howard the Duck. Or thankfully, we we'd ha- we'd have Howard the Duck. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know, man. I, it, it, there's so much that could happen just simply by them not selling. Yeah. It, and as much as we just get mad with Sony or Fox at the time, I don't think there's really anything we could have changed or we would want to change because. As frustrated as I am, you heard how passionate I was about the Spider-Man thing earlier, and that's the most passionate yeah. I've ever been on this podcast. As much as that annoys the crap out of me, I understand that that had to happen. We'll recover from it, but it had to happen in order for Marvel to be where it is now and where the comic book genre is now. It it had to happen. It does. It did. I think the important thing, too, is... Imagine what the other caveat would be. Imagine what would have happened if Iron Man had flopped. Or imagine, um, you know who the original pick for Iron Man was before Robert Downey Jr.? No, who? Tom Cruise. Imagine if it was Tom Cruise instead of Robert Downey Jr. Would the movie still have worked? No, I don't think it would have. Me neither. As much as I hate it, Iron Man in the later sequels, the first Iron Man, I still love the first Iron Man. And yeah, if that flopped, they still license out these characters, but if if it flopped, what happens to Captain America and what happens to Thor? Does Warner yeah. Brothers pick them up? Does um, Sony or Fox try and pick them up and weave them in and be like, here, here's the X-Men and Captain America. Interesting. Yeah, it would have been, it would have changed the landscape to be sure. And yes, we're still feeling the effects of it, but it's just interesting to think about of one decision can change so much. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think Marvel is finally getting back to the place where they can get all their stuff back. Yes. Which, eventually, Spider-Man will will join them. But for the time being, we're going to have to make do. But uh, any last-minute thoughts about any of these what-if scenarios, Josh? I I, I think the theme throughout was, was, I th- was very interesting to me that it could be something as simple as someone not selling a property or um, putting a different actor in or, or just simply uh, fans reacting differently to a, a movie can completely change a, an, an entire landscape. Yeah. And it will always have like trickle effects and trying to pinpoint 
what may be something small but can have a huge impact, that's always that's fascinating to me. So I like questioning these what if scenarios. It's so interesting to me. Yeah. Well, I think that'll about do it for us this week. Let us know what kind of what ifs you'd like to hear us discuss in future episodes. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. And as those if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on the main YouTube channel at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals. <laughs>